0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into a pond Further Review. I'm Evan Grant bringing the spunkiness today. Don't say that. This is Kevin Sherrington. This is Barry Horn, and we've got to be more upbeat. We are more upbeat. That's why we've got Bob Sturm on the line. Bob, are you there?
1: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: It's great. This just is so awkward for me now to be actually interviewing you.
1: (laughs) I think it's awesome.
0: So I'll try not to, be, to. I'll try not as hard to be funny as I usually am on the air, which goes over really poorly. But we've That's got right. a lot of Cowboys stuff to talk about.
1: It's your natural disposition, so just let the humor shine through.
0: Yeah, to just try too hard always. Uh, Bob, you have. It's Tuesday morning as we record this, and you've just posted your um, Cowboys offensive uh, decoding the offense, and yes, sir. What have you found about the offense during this five-game losing streak beyond the fact that it seems to be lacking a quarterback and for the most part a big-time receiver?
1: Yeah, the beyond the fact that they're horrible uh without Tony Romo is 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 the understatement. They they went for 220 yards uh on Sunday which is brutal. 3.9 yards per play which is beyond brutal and uh it's the fifth worst performance of the offense on a yards per play basis uh, since the Romo era began back in 2006. And what's interesting is that each of those games on the top five worst offensive performances during the Romo era, none of them included a Romo game. Um, (laughs) You had had Stephen McGee uh, against Philadelphia in 2011. You had Brad Johnson in 2008, his two starts, you had uh, another Brad Johnson game, the final game of 2007 when Wade kind of sat everybody. I think Romo played two series, and uh, and then this game. So if anything, we've certainly verified the fact that Tony Romo is really good and all of his backups are not. And uh, so that's the first takeaway. Otherwise, you know, as you start to look at the numbers and you try not to bog down in the 0-5 because that's real – Um, simple and maybe lazy analysis. So you try to look at what what components are going into their success or lack thereof. And the two things I was working on today was just this overall running game. Where is it uh, year to date compared to the 2014 season? And that's a very high bar because in 2014, at this point of the year, they were pretty much number one in every rushing category. And they also had Tony Romo and Des Bryant to keep everybody um, honest. Well, they have obviously taken a step back, but I am happy to report from that standpoint that they're still basically a top 10 rushing team in just about every um, way you look at it. Uh, So they've fallen from number one to 10, but... I would argue that that was probably going to happen the second Tony Romo hurt himself, and it really has nothing to do with the running game as much as it has to do with how teams are defending the Cowboys. Well, I would what think
0: is, I would think that if you, after losing Demarco and the leading rusher in the in, in the league, that if you stayed in the top third, at the top tier of of rushing teams in the NFL, that that would be expected. You know that there's going to be yeah. some drop off there.
1: Yes, and 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 so what. That is all very good. I think the running game is still solid, and you can hang your hat on that to a certain extent, especially if you get any quarterback play. What is a little disconcerting, and I've been working on this for a couple weeks now, um, is that all of their running production, at least the good part of it, all seems to happen in the first quarter of these five games without Romo, meaning Um, For whatever reason, on their first drive or two, they can uh, put some nice runs together. And their production, 41% of their rushing production without Tony Romo has been in the first quarter. So that would lead me to two possible conclusions. One, the uh, pregame script. Scott Linehan, just like every other offensive coordinator in football, pretty much maps out their first 10 to 20 plays. And they really emphasize those on Wednesdays and Thursdays in practice. And, uh, they, you know, perhaps there's a little more comfort level there and, and, and whatever that may lead to. But the second idea is probably closer to the, uh, uh, the actual truth, which is, you know, defenses are uh, giving the Cowboys an opportunity to show what they're capable of on those first two drives. The, the quarterback uh, demonstrates that there's certain parts of the field he's not even going to look at and then they adjust their defense accordingly to pretty much gang up on the running game. And I think that's why we're seeing all of their good runs are pretty much in the first quarter, and then they vanish for the rest of the game.
2: Do you think there's been an upgrade in quarterbacks when they moved to Castle from Whedon?
1: Well, it certainly looked that way. Uh, Castle was making throws in New York that Whedon was not even considering, and Whedon was playing an incredibly safe game. Cautious style of quarterback that I thought was kind of holding the uh, offense back. Not that Castle is any great improvement uh, in terms of a starting quarterback, he's not. But he, but I think he was a little more aggressive. Well, what happened in New York, of course, was three interceptions on three consecutive drives. And I think what either happened is <laughs> the Cowboys grabbed the reins and pulled them way back and said, "Look, we cannot give away uh, interceptions like this. We've got to alter how we're allowing him to throw." Or the other possibility is it just got into his head that I have to stop risking the throws. And I think the first pass that he threw to Dez, and maybe not not the first one, but the one over on the sideline where Richard Sherman almost had an interception on on kind of a 10-yard comeback, that really seemed to, to spook Castle. So basically what happened is Castle has turned into Brandon Whedon in just two weeks. And I'm not positive why that happened, but there's no question now, and I put this on today's blog, his throw chart, all of his throws are within five yards of the line of scrimmage now for the most part, except a couple designed design shots down the field to Des and kind of a jump ball situation. So they're basically the same quarterback right now, which of course is very bad.
0: All right. So what's your take of those two of, of those two options? What is your take? Do you, in your gut, do you feel like it's the Cowboys pulling the reins back or it's the quarterback? Because I think you addressed this a little bit yesterday on the show in that it does seem like maybe the Cowboys are a little bit overly cautious and, with as many missing pieces as they have, don't you have to go for a little bit Aren't you kind of pressured into making a few more high-risk plays to try and open something up?
1: Yeah, I, I, that, that's my main conclusion, is that their head coach is pretty much maybe uh, the most conservative head coach in football. Um, it would be difficult to say, you know, 1 through 32, who takes the most chances and who doesn't. But certainly, when you talk about... Who takes the least chances? Garrett's in the top five. Uh, He seldom goes for it on fourth down. He seldom, uh, you know, uh, is running the onside kick. Various things that we would uh, use to measure whether a coach uh, has a sort of gambler in him. And uh, in the case of Garrett, he doesn't. But I still think he's a fine coach. That showed last year, but last year he also had the better team on the field most weeks. So now we're seeing the exact opposite. They're entering games against uh, two of their last three games were against the two teams in the Super Bowl last year. So even with Romo and Dez, you are probably going to be underdogs in those situations. But without them, you are decided underdogs. So why You've got to be we... riskier.
0: You've got to why, be yeah, willing are... to take some chances.
1: Yes, why are we coaching games as if we're the favorite when we're clearly the underdog here? And, yes, you've got to be more aggressive in your disposition. And I think that leads over to their play calling and to how they instruct their quarterback. And and basically they trust Tony Romo. They don't trust anyone else, and and that's that's fine. That's logical. But it's also not going to help you win games that you're probably not supposed to win.
3: All right, Bob, I want to point out here that on Sports Day on Air yesterday – Not once, but twice, I cited you For that very uh, viewpoint, that it needed to take more chances, especially if you're the underdog, you have to do that. So I want you to know that we're we're plugging away for you here, (laughs) even on television.
0: Yeah, but but, but, with this offense, what constitutes his chances? Well, uh,
3: that that that, that's the point. I I think we you know that really needs to be explored here with this team. So so we're uh, when you so I'm I'm at the New York game. So the the big benefit of being at a game is that you can watch something besides just the football. And so you're 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 looking across the field, and I'm seeing what Matt Castle. is seeing uh, presumably when he's he's making throws and and I think we should point out that that throw that he made to Devin Street in the back of the end zone was a wonderful throw wonderful play wonderful throw wonderful catch we didn't see Brandon Whedon come close to making a play like that when when he was a quarterback in the team so uh, so we saw that we saw that now now I watched the game the other night against the the Seattle or the other afternoon I watched that on television I'm only seeing you know what the what the television allows me to see you're breaking down the film when you watch this on film, are they bracketing people? Are, are, are we seeing uh, Is the reason Cole Beasley has disappeared from the offense because he is getting double-teamed? What's happened? Well, what's interesting,
1: honestly, is, of course, as you would expect over the course of 60 plays, there's different stories on just about every snap. But in general, what they're doing with Cole Beasley is really confusing to me. Uh, they He does not have a catch with Matt Castle at quarterback. Let's start there. And uh, he was on pace after five games for a 70-catch, 700-yard season. Now, that's not going to put Des Bryant out of work, but that's unbelievable for your third wide receiver, especially on an offense that also has Jason Witten, so maybe he's your fourth wide receiver. You're going to get 70 catches and 700 yards out of Cole Beasley. In these last two weeks, he's been open uh, uh, on a... Rather frequent basis in New York, he was open a few times, but they're not really looking at him. What I found interesting this week, though, and this might have been a covered thing, and this might have been a let's get Des going thing from the slot, but they're running Cole Beasley repeatedly on vertical routes. Which is something they would never do with Tony Romo. They would ask uh, Beasley to work the underneath with those little pivot routes, those option routes where he's basically trying to shake his uh, his corner and, and get open for you know six yards and then run him into space where he can move the chains. What's Cole Beasley so good at doing? This week they ran him vertically. I want to say, I don't know, 10, 12 times, which probably is the most he's done in his entire career, and they're never even looking at him. Uh, so, so are they setting something up or are they just trying to get him to pull traffic out of the middle of the field? So somebody else can, uh, can do it. Well, whatever they're doing, it's not working. Um, going back to what should they be doing? That would be more aggressive. Basically, it comes down to this. They had the ball inside the Seattle 25 on three occasions on Sunday. And so that's nine plays before you bring on Dan Bailey. And really on all nine of those plays, um, by far the riskiest thing they tried was the Darren McFadden running back pass, which I think is, you know, I guess it's great if it works, but it's, it's, it's not really aggressive. It's more uh, desperation. Uh, desperation. It's more reckless than anything. Uh, but as far as what are we asking Matt Castle, who's been in the league 10 years to do, um, they really, it was <laughs> that last drive when Hardy had the interception is a great example. They ran the ball on first down, so now they're second and four from the 12, I want to say, second and six from the 12, and on those two plays, they ran um, basically horizontal passes that in each case, the line of scrimmage is the 12, but each case, the ball lands at the 15, and uh, one time it was to Beasley, it was a poor throw, it went incomplete. On third down, they did the same thing to the other side, to McFadden, and he you know, got to the 9th. And in all those cases, they're never even asking anyone to pass the them. They're throwing the ball safely and hoping basically on a wide running play that somebody can move the chains. And what I'm saying is Richard Sherman can't guard everybody. So I've got yeah. Terrence Williams and Cole Beasley and Jason Witten and Des Bryant. I've got to get down at the 12-yard line. I've got to ask a veteran quarterback to make one throw into the end zone, and on second down and on third down, we're going to try to get seven points here, and if not, then we'll take the field goal. All
0: right, but, but they were nice. they were clearly, it, it looked like to me that they were clearly somewhat intimidated by Sherman's presence on Dez, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, so if they take, if if somebody's going to try and shut down Dez, and obviously not every cornerback is Richard Sherman, but if somebody's going to try and shut down Dez, what's their vertical option? They don't trust Terrence Williams. Well,
1: I, again, I'm saying I've got two plays from the 12-yard line, and you can do it with uh, multiple tight ends. You can do it with multiple wide receivers. We can, we can put Dez on one side and try to draw a safety over there and get man on the other side. We can try rub routes. But the last thing I need you to do is to dump it down to uh, Darren McFadden and, and, and ask him to beat. Uh, KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner to the sticks. It's super, super careful and conservative. You're my settling for is, the
0: field goal on third down there. You're not even trying to get the first I, down. I, I mean, I
1: think they were settling for the field goal on first down. You know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I
0: think I think you made the point yesterday that it, in those two drives, it looked like they should have just brought the the field goal team out there on first down.
1: They they were very very careful. And my view is, when you're a decided underdog and you get to the fourth quarter and you have a chance. You've got to have the faith in your team that either we're going to uh, aggressively throw to the end zone and take a chance here, we're going to either go for the jugular, or we're going to die trying. Um, to take the passive approach means you got a two-point lead with 14 minutes to go, and you're asking your defense to uh, to, to basically win a 12-10 game, and I just don't think that's reasonable.
2: How? Uh, uh, why don't you join me in putting the blame squarely on Hardy? How do you get tackled by a quarterback? <laughs>
1: That that tackle hurts. You'd like to think that Greg Hardy would, could uh, could deal with Russell Wilson, but uh, uh, Hardy is playing at a super high level. Uh, I, I was just watching him this morning on uh, plays that he did not make, just plays where he's in the vicinity. And that guy, um, to his credit, and uh, there isn't many people, there aren't many people crediting him, and 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 nor should they be. Uh, but if you just purely look at the ability of a player to play football and to Uh, get to the ball on every occasion. Hardy has some real ridiculous traits as a defensive lineman and, uh, and uh, I, I kind of expected him to take that to the end zone, but but overall, he's
2: clearly
1: their best defensive player right now,
2: and maybe their best offensive weapon. Yeah. All <laughs> right, uh, let's let's get back to the point about uh,
3: quarterbacks and what we expect of them, and what Jason Garrett expects of them. Because let's let's assume here. I'm going to assume that 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 Matt Castle did not suddenly become afraid uh, to throw the ball downfield. He, he may have, but I'm I'm going to assume that 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 they told him this is this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the same plan that we had last year. When we beat the Seahawks, and we're gonna we're gonna do this the same way. And basically, Tony did go vertical a few times in that game, but but with not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's assume that, and let's and let's look at Jason Garrett's history with quarterbacks, Jerry Jones' history with quarterbacks, and specifically backup quarterbacks. Guys, you're gonna build uh, the, the program with here. Is it probably too much to say that Jason Garrett's attitude is if our starting quarterback is out, if Tony Romo is out. Look, it's all it's all hands on deck. We're going to have to really dumb this down. We're going to have to be really safe, and we're going to have to, you know, in other words, it drives him to be even more conservative than he normally is.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on, and I think that might work against Jacksonville or Washington or somebody who's equally uh, inept on offense. But, man, you're playing the, the Patriots. You're playing Eli Manning on the road. You're playing uh, Seattle. These are teams that uh, can score. Uh, although the Seahawks right now look pretty feeble offensively as well. But, but ca- comparatively speaking, they, they, they look like uh, world beaters. Um, I, get, I just look, there's too much consistency. I told you guys about the five worst starts in the Romo era. Right. There's too much consistency in the way their backup quarterbacks play the position to argue that it's not on some level how they're coached. I believe the backup quarterback here is coached incredibly conservatively, and you might say that happens everywhere. I would disagree. Uh, I've seen, uh, for instance, those Josh McCown starts in uh, New Orleans. Uh, Luke McCown, forgive me. One of the McCowns. Uh, There's a bunch of them. He made the start in uh, Carolina, I, th- I think in week three, the week before the Cowboys played him. And he's throwing the ball down the field. And, uh, you know, trying trying to basically uh, challenge the secondary that uh, at least stay awake back there. And, and I, I guess my view is, um, to your point about Romo last year in Seattle, it's not that he made ten throws down the field. It's that they were afraid that if they let their guard down, he might. And that threat is actually more, um, more powerful sometimes than the reality. And, and, and I think the Cowboys um, opponents are not feeling the slightest threat, whether it be Whedon or Castle. And I think that does go back to, on some level, the way they're coached, which to me uh, is a little difficult when we look ahead to the next quarterback that's going to be trained by this coaching staff uh, when they do spend a first or second rounder on – the heir apparent to Tony Romo's kingdom, I I wonder if they're capable of coaching a young quarterback to say, you know, it's okay to trust your arm and to trust your eyes and to try to fit a ball into a tight space once in a while because that's what it takes to win at this level.
2: Bob, how ironic is it? Because, as we all know, what was Jason Garrett when he played the NFL?
1: A backup quarterback.
2: So is is it— uh, wh- why, if, above when he came in and he had he had a great Thanksgiving Day game, he, he, when he had a chance, why is he so unwilling to see that I, in, in another backup quarterback?
1: I, I, I've thought about that, Barry, and, and my conclusion is, if ever a backup quarterback had a supporting cast that your job was not to screw it up, it might be the backup quarterback of the 94 Dallas Cowboys. And therefore... His job as a backup quarterback, at least at that portion of his career, he obviously played much longer. But uh, when I think of that famous Thanksgiving performance, I think, man, you want to talk about Pro Bowlers and Hall of Famers at so many spots? Maybe that's what the situation called for. Um, but uh, you know, and you Cowboys- could rely
0: on that defense to win games. You 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 can't necessarily rely on this defense to win games right now. Which is, I think, how they're managing how they're managing their personnel. Although I would say in
3: this in this particular game, he was almost right. I mean, and, yeah, and I, I disagree. Yeah. Now I disagree with the way his approach as well. But let's give him the credit for that. They were almost right. Uh, that's th- right. Uh, so they they were very close to doing. And I'm sure that would be his argument that we were right there.
1: That's right. And 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 any team that's going to win with a backup quarterback, uh, not to play this broken record, but we're all going to talk quarterback and we're going to talk play calling. But in reality you're not gonna win very many games in this league with any quarterback if you have four takeaways after seven games. Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, they, they invested a ton in their defense this year and, and there are good things about their defense, but the most important thing is that uh the Greg Hardy interception was a absolute rarity because they had gone six weeks since their last takeaway. And and so you can't do that and win with any offense in this league. And the Cowboys are trying to a win without takeaways and without quarterback play, and that's basically why they're two and five. Okay, right
2: let's let's take this in a different direction. Let's look ahead. Now they're, they're now they're playing Sunday night against the Eagles. Will they please play Gavin Escobar a little more in that oh, game? Oh my Very. gosh! <laughs> okay, no, but what 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 will it take to beat this Eagle team?
1: Well, I you know thankfully the Eagles. Uh, as the offenders on three of the four Cowboy takeaways this year have at least demonstrated the willingness to uh, give you a chance to stay in the game because their offense is uh, just as frustrating to their city as this offense is as to ours. And yet they have their full complement of players uh, generally healthy. And so um, it's, it's, it, it, it's the Cowboys chance, of course, relies on their ability to A, generate some offense, which you know, I'd like to think that New York game, uh, you could at least approach um, duplicating that. And and going back to, you know, the three interceptions that people talk about and how, uh, Kevin, it almost worked against Seattle. It almost worked against New York that even with those bad throws, without the kick return, they're probably in a good position to win that game as well. So... You know, <laughs> we're going with a lot of ifs and buts right now, but I really think the Cowboys have to figure out a way to get their wide receivers involved, uh, not just in these uh, give bubble screens and these horizontal passes, but they, they've got to challenge a secondary. And once you challenge a secondary even a little bit, then your running game has a little more space to operate, as, as do your underneath wide receivers like Cole Beasley.
0: Bob, is this? Let's just simplify this for a second. Does this season come down to Sunday night?
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think it absolutely does. Um, if you win that game, as goofy as it sounds, uh, you're three and five with all three of your wins in division. With the season sweep over Philadelphia, Philadelphia would fall to three and five, and uh, then the uh, the wind of uh, momentum momentum might get you all the way to getting Romo back healthy. I do think it's still salvageable, but I realize with each passing week, I sound more ridiculous saying that.
0: I I don't know. I mean, I keep looking at it and thinking that each week, if they don't win this week, this season is over with. And I look at the schedules, I I look at what's left, and if they win this week, they are, as as ridiculous as it is to say, they are in the middle of the NFC East. It's a bad division. I think 8-8 is going to win this division if they can find a way to cobble together uh, six wins over the next 10 weeks they're they're going to be in decent shape
1: i think that's right and uh, what's what's amazing though is when this all started when romo uh, hurt his collarbone in philadelphia i looked at the next seven games before he was eligible to return and i saw i said man if they can just get two or three and then each week you're like, if they can just get two of these last five. And now we're down to if they can just get two of these last two before Romo comes back. So they have officially squandered all of their mulligans.
0: They've, they've uh, lost their their margin of error. but
1: It's completely gone now.
0: But with the Eagles in the Bucks, I mean, they've got two winnable games.
1: There's no doubt. Um, that said, uh, they have demonstrated uh, very little to give us any faith, uh, especially for those of us who for some reason have to pick games with some level of accountability, um, I don't know how anyone can pick the Cowboys just simply based on the, you've been burned five weeks in a row, are you going to keep doing this nonsense? Uh, you know Those principles uh, enter my mind uh, going into the Philadelphia game.
0: So are you picking the Cowboys based on the fact that they've lost five in a row and the <laughs> momentum has to change?
1: I, I mean, we can go with the their due theory, uh, and we can also go with the idea that the Eagles look ridiculous right now offensively. And to not pick Matt Castle means to pick Sam Bradford. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but I'm in a spot right now where I think I'm going to uh, lay off picking the Cowboys until they uh, demonstrate to me that they're capable of uh, winning a game again. I I, I I'll be wrong uh, before I take the Cowboys again.
0: All right, so I, I'm going to take it that that is that you're not picking a tie game.
1: No, no, I'm I, I, you know I, as, as much as I enjoy uh, Eagles' failure, um, I'm going to assume that uh, they can beat Matt Castle and a team that is not you know really doing anything offensively to write home about. That's a weird thing is if you when you, normally when you look at an inept offense, you look at an offensive line that's failing you. You can't pass protect. You can't run block. Cowboys' offensive line, I've got very few complaints, and especially with Lyle Collins in there for Ron Leary. I think they're really solid across the board, although obviously Doug Free disappoints once a week or twice a week. But they have a really good offensive line right now, and they have Des Bryant back. This should not be this complicated.
0: But they're conservative and they're predictable, and that's a very dangerous combination when you don't have exceptional athletes on the field.
1: Yes, and when you are following the run, run, pass on third and long, and then run on the punt team, that's uh, that's that's uh, they, they 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 gotta they they gotta challenge themselves to either go down punching or uh, to uh, to uh, take some chances and and, and and reap the benefits.
0: Kevin, eternal optimist, what do you have this week?
3: You know, yeah, I, you know, I, I believe I picked the Cowboys correctly the last several weeks. Uh, I, I am picking the Cowboys. You to the Cowboys win. to lose. I did, yes, okay. and so I'm picking the Cowboys to win this week against the Eagles. Why? Give me one reason. Because, why. Just because of the reasons that, that Bob gave, because the Eagles uh, are, shoot themselves in the foot uh, as much or more than the Cowboys do. So I, I think that I think that that's one of the reasons. Although I, I do think that'll make Jason Garrett be even more conservative. He'll look at it like they're going to make mistakes. They're going to. We're just going to wait for uh, their. We're going to wait for their mistakes, and and we'll uh, wait them.
2: Well, why don't they just run the Wildcat uh, with uh, sixty plays again, Darren McFadden? Yeah, well, they might as they might as well. But uh, I'm going to go with Bob. I'm going to I'm going to go with the Eagles. I think uh, they're due. Just you know, you, people say the Cowboys are due. The Eagles have to be due. I'll go with the Eagles by ten. Ten. Wow, 10. that's a lot.
0: Just call me Evan Homer.
2: Oh, I mean, you guys you're, have all you're going picked, with the Rangers. You guys <laughs> have all picked the, the <laughs> Eagles.
0: I might as well take the Cowboys. At least I look like I think for myself here. I have no reason to pick them. There's no reason they should put a winning performance together that said how exciting is it going to be to watch that sunday night football game it sounds like a real classic barn burner <laughs> well
1: i i look forward to it because uh if they don't figure out a way to get it uh, it might be time for the funeral
0: yes which is always good radio correct bob
1: it is, but it, you know, it's like uh, it's like chocolate cake for breakfast. Uh, it, it, it's fun at the time, I suppose, <laughs> but uh, but uh, about mid-morning, you're you're kind of you're, you're not feeling so good. So I'd like to delay it at least to get us to the holidays. Come on, this, right. this, this this was the season they left like an overnight bag in Santa Clara in the preseason. It wasn't supposed to go this badly this quickly.
0: Well, all right, we've kept you well far beyond the allotted time that we expected and that your agent granted us, so uh, we appreciate that very much. And they
1: say we, I'm verbose, so, uh, you know, I didn't want to disappoint.
0: You you have educated us. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> thank we appreciate
1: good. it. I uh, uh, count it a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you. Take care.
0: Thanks, Bob. You. Bye-bye. All right, fellas, so what do you got? You got anything? You got any final thoughts on the Cowboys?
2: No, I, I think Bob just said everything. I, I'm just glad nobody brought up Steve Spurrier to come in here and be the, uh, take over the offense. <laughs> Listen, I think I might go for that now. You know what?
3: <laughs> I think I might go for that one.
0: That wouldn't be conservative, I guarantee no, you. No, it would not. And,
3: and the press conferences would sure be a lot better.
0: Press conferences would be fun. And then every time that you wrote something um, the slightest bit controversial— You'd get a call at about six forty-five in the morning. That's
2: that's <laughs> I, and the only reason I bring him up is that's because in another podcast we had a expert on the University of Texas advocate or say he thought Spurrier would be a good offensive coordinator at the University of Texas. Yes, we did. And he, and he, that, that,
0: that's an ender again. Just <laughs> once again, that whole <laughs> thought is an ender. We're going to roll out of here. We'll, we'll just, see you next week for for upon further review. I'm Evan Grant.
3: Kevin Sherrington.
2: They're Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant. I'm Barry Horn. Goodbye, everybody.